0: The Tartan Daily. A Scotland Euro 2020 podcast by Hodgie the Hack. Hello there. A very warm welcome to episode two of The Tartan Daily. Where? We're going to talk about one thing only. Because nowadays, England fans want to talk like they get something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips. It's just a bunch of gibberish. And England fans, well, they forgot about Shea. Yes, we are going to talk about Shea Adams. And I have three people flanking me today. Now, the golden rule for podcasts is, you should always do it, with a number of three, a total of that three people. I'm now hearing an echo because I accidentally had my own YouTube page open. This is going well. Uh, So, yes, I have three people flanking me. And two of them are English, one of them is Scottish, because there was no way I was going to be outnumbered. And I thought, given the way that Lee Griffiths embarrassed Joe Hart in the last good match that we played against England, I thought, yeah, let's go 2-2. So, first of all, we have Mark Duffy with us. He's down there in the bottom right, so... And Mark is a Derbyshire-based journalist who's known Shea Adams since he was a teenager and playing non-league football, because that's why I think Shea Adams' story is so interesting. He's gone from non-league to burying England at the Euros, hopefully. Um, Maybe Mark and Will don't want to see it that way, but uh, Mark, thank you very much for joining us, mate. Um, I'm really looking forward to your insights. How are you doing today?
1: Good, thank you. Yeah, really well.
0: Excellent. Um, Above Mark, sitting upstairs from him, we have Will Turner, who is... One of my best mates who I've known for many many years now works on content for the England cricket team and the ECB. But first and foremost, Will, you are a fan of all things Southampton FC, and obviously that's where she Adams plays now. So, how are you doing, mate? You looking forward to the Euros? Very much, very much. Uh, showing there's not a few more Saints players at the tournament, Mr. Prowse in
2: particular, but yeah, very excited, very excited.
0: Yes, well, obviously not the only Saints player in the squad either, and then. Just below me, I have Neil Doherty, who's a fellow Ayrshire boy and a Scottish football author, the author of World Cup 1998, Scotland's story, the France 98 journey. Neil, how are you doing, mate? Are you looking forward to us in a major tournament? Do you think it was going to be 23 years when you wrote the book?
3: Well, I was just chatting to Mark um, beforehand. Thanks for inviting me on, Stuart. No, I, I, I absolutely didn't, and I don't think anybody else w- would have either. Uh, and that was part of it, as I was chatting to Mark about before the, before we went live, it's part of the motivation for writing the book was that I just couldn't really remember. It was so long ago, you know, the last time we actually did it, so trying to think football memories are quite selective. So um that that was part of the part of my motivations for actually writing the book in the first place was trying to um remember so long ago ah. now. So thanks for inviting me on.
0: No, oh, good man. Um Johnny G says, alright Hodge, moan the Scotland, is boogie time and we are going to boogie woogie our way through this podcast. That's what I'm hoping anyway. For anyone that is watching us across the various social media that I've got this streaming down on, you can watch it on YouTube and just keep it running in the background. For anyone that's listening subsequently on the podcast, please, please remember to subscribe afterwards. And anyone that is watching on YouTube now, get involved in the chat, let us know you're there or on other social media as well. I can see all the comments. Feel free to get your questions in for everyone um, and myself. And we'll, we'll try and tackle those over the course of the podcast. But, gentlemen, this is about Shea Adams. But before we get to that, it's about the Euros. And the Euros kicks off tonight. How excited are we? Who wants to go first? I'll go with you, Will, since you're just sitting to my left there.
2: Yeah, uh, it's kind of crept off on me. Uh, I think, given the way Saints' season finished, kind of fell out of love with the game a little bit. But something about international football it just gets you going. And when you see him... You know, the sticker books, the wall charts, all that sort of stuff. it just gets you going again. Um, there's a good plenty of good preview content out there as well and just yeah, you know Turkey, Italy tonight as well. just suddenly it's all kind of hit me in one big go and uh, yeah, there's nothing better than international football and obviously you guys being a major tournament this time around, you know, I can't even begin to imagine how your excitement is me um,
0: like. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. Like there's a video that I did on social media of... Um, I was explaining it in episode one of the podcast, which if anybody hasn't checked it out, it was me, Rory Hamilton and Andy Balch. So two commentators actually working in the tournament and then one who's completely out of work and doing a podcast for no reason other than... We're at our first tournament for 23 years. Um, but I mate, like, my buzz has been extreme and I've been listening to that Boogie Woogie back at a song like various times a day, all week. And I've actually I've diversified today. I've gone for the Fratelli's cover instead. 'Cause um like I don't know, like too much too much of a good thing, you know what I mean? Um, so it's, not,
2: it's not your alarm then. You haven't changed it to your alarm.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. Um I, my alarm's still that beepy thing you get in an iPhone. So um it's, it's not going it's not going any further than that. What about yourself, Neil? Um you buzzing for this? Sorry, I've unmuted I, you mate. I,
3: okay, absolutely. Um, I, I I mean I have been quite fortunate. I've i been mean, very fortunate. i managed to get tickets through the UEFA ballot, so I'll be at Hamden for all three group matches. Um and that that, that i bought I bought those tickets almost two years ago now. Mm, yummy, uh,
0: jammy, 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 man.
3: Yeah, yeah. There was a, so many times I could have lost the tickets and I don't know, I was at Euro sixteen as a football tourist because <laughs> for my dad. And oh, good on you. I went to, I went to seven matches, including England, Wales and Lawrence across 12 days and I don't know if that maybe went for my favour with UEFA, you never know with UEFA but I got through the first ballot or so I won the ticket and then we hit COVID and um, obviously thought well there's no chance but uh, every obstacle I, I seem to have overcome and now I do have my ticket for all three group matches so I, I'm feeling fortunate. I will not probably believe it Stuart until I'm walking through the the turnstiles at, at Hamden, but I can imagine um, that, mate. other the, the, the perimeter and the very strict security that it looks, I think it will look very different than anything we've seen before. Oh, um, I, I don't know
0: what they can add because you know, you normally go to these major events and there's people touting tickets and stuff like that. There's so few of them that, and the security factors you mentioned, it just makes me think that it's going to be pretty much an impossibility to get tickets outside the games, you know, and, unless you're carrying about a couple of grand handy, you know. Um, just in the pocket so now nah, i know i think it will be quite hard and yourself mark are you are you looking forward to the tournament
1: yeah i don't know if it's excitement it's it's often more apprehension as to how horrifically it might end for england um, every time we're going to tournament you never know penalties, been a this time. it could be penalties could be a dodgy goal it could be anything. um so um yeah i'm looking forward to it. i think we've we've had to wait a bit longer have not we for for a, for a big tournament um as Will said, it's crept up a bit. It's going to be a bit strange as well without the full stadiums and without the full effect of all the fans travelling around for various games. But obviously, England benefit a bit from having so many games here. Um, so purely from from that point of view, it's going to be good. But yeah, yeah, just you know, the summer always comes around a bit too soon when the football stops, so we have to go without any for a while. But thankfully, this time there's no break, so uh, off we go.
0: No, there we go. But like, this is one of the reasons we've got you on today as. Is to talk about that that journey because football is all about a bit of investment in the the sort of Roy of the Rovers stuff, isn't it? So people are obviously down south, that a lot has been made of kind of Jamie Vardy obviously winning the title with Leicester after starting off his career playing in, in the non-league and things like that. It's obviously a fantastic story. Um, we're hoping that Shea Adams can do similar, lift uh, an important trophy after going from the non-league but um on the international stage instead. Now, obviously that's a wee bit pie in the sky, probably, but I, I think it's it's a lot of people won't actually know about Shea Adams' sort of progression. So, what I would like you to describe to me, you know, you covered him when he was at Elkiston Town, which was and um, just I'd literally looking in his Wikipedia, I saw that Odby Town was his was his first club, and it's got It's got him scoring five goals in 33 games at Woodby Town and then only 9-40 and for Elkiston. Now, granted, he was quite a young lad, but that's not the kind of goal return that suggests that you've got an international forward fledgling at that stage. So what was he like when he was a young player, mate?
1: Yeah, I mean, at that point, he was less about goals um, because he was trying to sort of find his best role and position. I mean, just to give you a bit of context with... Ilkeston, because it was actually Ilkeston FC mm-hmm. he was with then. The previous Ilkeston town had gone bust in 2010 uh, and the new club Ilkeston FC formed uh, and had quite a big ethos, uh, a focus on academy football and, and they had a really good setup where they were bringing a lot of kids in from who had been released by football league clubs um, and Shea had previous going to Odeby, he was at uh, Coventry I believe until he was about 14 uh, was released by them, went to OB here, a quite a bit lower level than Ilkeston are, and then at 16, I think it was, he came to Ilkeston because they had a full-time academy. Uh, it was a good place for him to to come and develop under um, Kevin Wilson, um, former Chelsea and uh, Northern Ireland uh, striker, He was manager at Ilkeston at the time. Darren Caskey was there, um, and, and lots of other good youth coaches who he really helped him come on. Um, Ilkeston F.C. have since gone. <laughs> that that club actually only lasted about five six years. They they went bust as well. It's, it, it, the, 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 I could write a book myself about Ilkeston. Um, football history, to be honest, but the, the new club, again, Ilkeston Town, is now um, reformed and, and there's a much brighter future for them. Um, but he, he was there when it was Ilkeston FC. To answer the question, um, he was 16, 17, but he had the physical attributes. Well, I was going to say they the have a man's
0: system. body even at that age because yeah, he yeah, like a powerful set mean, of shoulders on him. Yeah.
1: Often at that age, they're quite still quite wiry and, and physically they struggle, particularly in non-league football, where you've got these brutes of um, centre halves and centre forwards. Um, but he, I think he made his debut. I think it was a cup tie, and he came on as sub. And immediately he looked. We thought, hang I mean, on a minute, he doesn't. He's just his strength on the ball. We thought, you know, yeah, he can't be sixteen. He then sort of broke into the first team during that season, and I think the the, the sort of stats there nine in forty games. A few of those were a sub at the start. But if you go onto YouTube and search Shay Adams and Ilkeston, you'll find some of the goals that he scored, which were three or four were sort of solo efforts from his own half. He'd run, beat players, score. Um, I remember um, the, one of his first games was away at uh, Stanford, uh, mm-hmm. who were top of the league at the time. They'd won all, all their games up to that point. Ilkeston went there. And I, I, to this day, I've not seen a, such a dominant performance by one player. That level of football as I did that night. They won four 0 He set up two goals, scored one, um, and we thought then, hello, you know. And and then he just carried on during that season, developing. See, before that um,
0: debut, you spoke of. Was there a bit of anticipation around the club? Like, did they was there? I thought, like, you know, we've got a special kid that we're going to going to blood this season. Was was there any of that, or did it just kind of come out of nowhere?
1: Well, I think the fact he was put into the first team suggested they had a lot of faith in him. Um, they obviously realised they had something a bit special there internally and then obviously once the fans started to see him play again they're thinking this this kid's got something that even players 10 years older than him didn't have and then it was a question of how long he might stay because obviously a lot of league clubs around the area who who started sniffing around him quite quickly Um, but I think there was one defining moment he scored again this is on YouTube if you've ever look. he scored a goal at Ashton United up in Manchester one day brilliant solo goal went down the right cut inside beat a player two players scored and I was at the game and I, I turned to the person next to me and I I said if if this kid's not in the Premier League within five years um I said I don't know why I said you know eat my hat or whatever now no word of a lie I think it was about four years and ten months something like that after I'd said that um <laughs> he signed for Southampton, and I'm not proclaiming to be mystic mark or anything but you just <laughs> and he obviously had a couple of goals before that but they're just that kind of goal was enough to it was one of those get you off your, off your seat type goals. I Make mean, You think this kid's going to be a star, you know, nobody else can do that at this level. And you no, know, he's, he's gone on. I mean, Sheffield United picked him up, which is a really good move for him. His first move with Nigel puff mm-hmm. bringing him in. That was a great start for him. And everyone was just chuffed for him. Um, and you never know with players who do that in non-league, when they go up into league clubs, how it's going to go. Sometimes they just don't fit. Um, sometimes they drop back down again, but he, I think one of his first games was against uh, Tottenham, who I'm a supporter of, uh, incidentally. Um, and it was in the League Cup semi-final.
0: Nobody's perfect, though. Um,
1: no, I know. Um, and I tweeted it. I sent him a direct message on Twitter to say, hey, you know, if you get a chance in front of goal, you know, stick it in the stand, don't you, Shane? Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. Of course, he then came on and within a couple of minutes he had a chance in front of the cop, and he put it in the net, didn't he? And then he scored, he scored another one straight after that. And I think I tweeted at the time, look, we told you he was good. Um and it kind of that, that was his launch pad really. Um yeah. and the rest of the same is his history. But yeah, it was it was he was he just had something about him that I've not seen really in anyone that age at that level of football that's left yeah. me perhaps didn't expect him to be playing in the Euros for Scotland at this stage, but you couldn't really predict it quite how far he go, but he was going he was gonna be a I'll start with that one to um, No, 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 no.
0: Yeah. I, I, th- I think you can notice that star potential, and particularly when you see it at, at that sort of raw level of football, it can really stick out. And what one of the things that you, you sort of said there. Now, I obviously referenced the goal return with my um, extraneous research, stretching as far as looking at his Wikipedia page. But well, you've obviously watched quite a lot of him for Southampton. Did, do you see that same kind of unselfishness that Mark? was talking about there in, in terms of the way that he, he sort of plays the game on a week-to-week basis? I mean, do you think he's a real sort of team player in terms of his ethos and the way he approaches it?
2: 100%. It's really interesting hearing what you say there, Mark, because obviously not following him early in his career, but seeing him at Saints, there's so many comparisons and things that you're mentioning that he did then that he's absolutely doing now. The strength is one thing. That's still a big part of his game. Um, and in terms of being like a selfish player, like, there's no getting away. It was a tough start for him at Saints um but the fan base
0: you know why why was it tough
2: it wasn't scoring goals i think when you come to premier league fee um yeah you know you want to get off the ground quickly and also the other thing that went against him was very early on he had he was denied by some unbelievable saves dean henderson at sheffield united he just missed out on a goal on his debut actually and you just think that might have changed things um but yeah that that tough start but the fans didn't depart him because he does work very hard you can see there's enough there and i think the journey as well you want someone like that to do well um so that certainly works in his favor and the other thing you said about um those those special goals i think you just have to look at the goals he scored for saints even the first league goal against city it'd been a long time coming but lobbying edison as he did there was an absolutely brilliant goal he scored against sheffield united he's not a player that taps in from two yards and he's in the right place at the right time he's someone that scores big goals and Hearing you guys talk yesterday about moments following Scotland, I feel like if he's going to score for you guys in this tournament, it's going to be a goal that really stands out. He doesn't seem to score simple goals; they're always good-looking goals. I know it sounds weird, but he does. He's always doesn't doesn't take like you know he's just puts everything into every shot. He's not necessarily placing them when he's played for Saints. I just feel like yeah, there could be quite a big goal for Jay. The Euros, and I know I've got to say these things about Scotland and Adams uh, <laughs> for this podcast, but it's, it's genuine. It's I can see it happening.
0: I no, it's all right, mate. I got I got you on because I knew you would be balanced, and thankfully, Marcus <laughs> as well. But I just had to keep the seesaw level at two-two. And on that note, Neil, in terms of what you've seen so far from Shane, a uh, uh, Scotland shot sure. and have you been impressed? Because obviously, there's been well, the the appearances he's had so far. I think he's really impressed. He's obviously uh, got an assist and a goal, so. I think the, the one thing that stood out for me, just, just before I throw it to you, is the intelligence of the movement and the fact that we now look like we have a player who, regardless of the shape we play, will give us two forwards on the pitch, two natural forwards, not attacking midfielders, but forwards, because he occupies that space in between the middle third and the final third so, so well. And then he can also peel off into the channel and do his work there. But as, as we say, powerful running and intelligent running, not not real sort of raw pace, which was um, a sort of misapprehension I had about him because when I saw him sort of uh, playing wide, you just think young player playing wide for a championship team as it was at the time with Birmingham, I just thought, right, this is um, th- th- this guy's going to be fast, you know. Uh, but he's obviously he's not like that. But what what stood out for you so far when he's been playing in dark blue? Well.
3: When you asked me to do that, I was like people have said there's so much content out there at the moment with Scotland in their first major tournament for 23 years. It's like, what, what do you read next? You know, I've got the, all the guys, um, official programme, um, World Soccer Guide for 442, all the rest of it when Saturday comes. I'm just... And it's so much to read, the Athletic uh, app, and, and I'm... Um, I appreciate you coming to
0: come on, mate. Legend.
3: I, I, it was one of those ones that actually the point I'm making is it was actually quite nice to just look at one player and amongst all that information, just have a look at She Adams and and and, and, and a wee bit more depth. I, I mean, obviously, Scotland debut was against Austria on as a sub and um, that game, Dykes started up front with Chris, Christie in support. I think Christie's maybe, Ryan Christie's maybe the kind of main, one of the main losers um, with regard to she um, Adams' introduction to, to mm. the, I suppose unexpected introduction to the, the Scotland fold um, because and I think we've got a wee reminder against the Netherlands um, in the warm-up game how good Ryan Christie can be at supporting Dykes I think Dykes for me is, is that focal point that you need in international football he's a hold-up man and mm-hmm. this is my, my view he's that, that focal well, no, point oh no that's what it's about uh, yeah and and um, I think for me, personally, Dykes should start um, against the Czech Republic. I think Adams should start with him, would, would, would be my view. And that's off the back of what I've seen through those four games that he's played and, and thinking about it in a wee bit more depth. Uh, that, that, that debut when he came on, Dykes, as I said, had played up front with Christie in support. And then he he started the match against Azriel, uh won each draw, and he played alongside Fraser and Dykes was dropped. And, and I think it wasn't so long ago that we were saying Ryan Fraser was next to Dykes was, was this certain before Adams was introduced they were the same Yeah, that's start, right, start of, You know And, and you could see why because Ryan Fraser obviously another terrific player but I don't against Israel that was when you look at that starting 11 against Israel it's frighteningly close I thought we got it kind of wrong that night. I think you'd maybe agree, Stuart. That it was just something awful about that performance. Israel, we stood off them. I, th- I think, although Steve Clark has defended those performances it against in the World Cup it, offer,
0: I think that was probably the poorest we've been under the boss.
3: Yeah, I we, we weren't good against Israel, and Adam started up front with um, Fraser, and they linked up quite well because they're both good players, but. Um, and if you, if you remember, Adams drew in the three men for the assist. He laid on the goal for Fraser, didn't he? he? Drew in three men cleverly, and he and he rolled the ball to to Fraser. He looked as if he was going to. He would missed his chance, didn't he? And then um, uh, scored. But I think ultimately, when you look at the next two games, and it's it's Dykes um, alongside his, his next two caps, caps three and four. I had a look at it against the Pharaohs and against Luxembourg. It was, it was Dykes alongside Adams and I think that's probably in a game that we need to win against the Czechs or, or we hope that's, to win. That's, that's the way good.
0: that I would go. Yeah, no, I'd be, I'd be the same, mate. I would go with that and I think it was the combination play. I tweeted a few times about it during the Luxembourg game. They seem to have a good understanding and they seem to dovetail really well because Dykes is obviously more of a target man and she likes to drop into pockets and peel out wide. So that combination is really good but... The intelligence in terms of spatial awareness that Shea Adams has got seems to be something that is benefiting the team as a whole because what he's doing is he's standing off and not running out in the box and then running late and creating the wee half angles and stuff that basically gives us a few more combinations that we can do in our attack and play. So it's a bit more Pythagorean in terms of in terms of the the, the kind of angles and stuff that we're making passing wise and I think that's that's obviously a real bonus. For Scotland to, to have that I, now I ran a poll on my Twitter just coming into this game because Andy Barge in episode one alongside Rory Hamilton was um, he, he was saying that he reckons Shea Adams is now probably your number one selection uh, as a head of dykes in the pecking order now we've, we've suggested that we probably want them both to play against the Czechs but I ran a, a poll to see who would be your, your sort of number one choice up front for Scotland and 62.9% of respondents in that wee four-hour poll there this morning said that they would go for Dykes first. Now that's that's quite telling for me that he's already come in and had enough of an impact that people are already looking at him as the sort of main man up front. Just quickly, Neil, would you would you concur with that? You no, know I mean, would you say that you would you would go with Adams ahead of Dykes at this point? Like, if it was one or the other.
3: No, I, I would go with Dykes as the focal point. Uh, I would Dykes is the main striker, and Adams and and Christie contesting that say, that number ten role. I suppose Chris Christie. That that I think that will be a big one against England, when when obviously we're expected to probably most more likely be well we'll we be going out to to win against England probably not, and I think maybe. Christie might be favoured in that match. I don't. I've been thinking this one uh, about this one a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not too sure, but I would say that Dykes is a main striker and Adams is. And that's just my opinion. is maybe contesting for that second second supporting striker role, um, and and Christie, I think supports the midfield a wee bit more. Then, then maybe Adam's... There's a lot to Adam's game, though, is maybe Walt could speak about, the, the, the assists as well. Like, he, There's a lot to his game. He's a very interesting player. Absolutely. So, Granted, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So I think, yeah, they had quite a few assists last season as well. And I think one thing that really stood out to me, and this is definitely in the second season when he, he just looked far more at home in the Premier League and at Southampton. Um, you'll probably remember early last year when Harry Kane was making assists, dropping deep, and everyone was saying Mourinho was a new tactical master... Um, Adams actually was doing a lot of that as well, but clearly he plays for Southampton. He's not getting those headlines, but dropping deep and finding runners beyond him. He's very intelligent and very crazy player. that People don't necessarily give him the credit for. Um, he's also a lot better when he's playing up front with somebody else, which goes along with what you guys seem to be suggesting. And that's not just in terms of link up play. Um, but he just, when he midfielders as well coming behind him, he's just a very, very good link player. Um, so everything you're saying about how he might be used and with who, I think you're gonna get the most out of him in that way. But yeah, he's certainly as creative as he is lethal when he can when he's in on goal.
0: Yeah, just in terms of that sort of non-league grounding he had though, Mark. I mean, Will's already said that a lot of the the stylistic hallmarks that you saw when he was he was a young kid still sort of prevail now. But is there anything about that particular grounding that he had that you think will give him Something a wee bit different in in terms of approaching this tournament, whether that be from a psychological perspective, whether it be in terms of hunger. I don't know whether it be in terms of the way his game sort of is. Is there anything you think he's got that's a bit different that could, could potentially hurt some of the teams in the group?
1: Well, I can only really talk about, obviously, in terms of having seen him play in the flesh, what he had then. But I think in terms of that grounding he had, obviously when you've got that sort of, if you to come in this cliche, if you can do it on a wet, wet Tuesday night in Ilkeston, then you can do it against anyone. I mean, he's he's got, and again, just to draw comparisons to Jamie Vardy, um, different kinds of player, but you know, they've come from a level of football that is really bite and scratch, and and you know, and to come through it like he did, uh, and then go on more. He's now developed much more physically. Uh, obviously, he's been coached a lot more differently since he left. So he's then brought on all the other parts of his game that have, you know, improved dramatically um, at uh, Sheffield United and Birmingham and obviously Saints. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think it's just a different, I mean, we talk about a lot of, he's made in England, England at the moment about the fact so many of the squad have had their groundings in the lower leagues. So even Harry Kane's been mm. quite a while unknown. At, and I think there must be something about it because there's a few of them in there with that and it, maybe having that upbringing um, experience and the sort of lower levels and differences that it can bring mm. does give you something when you finally get into the top levels. Uh, maybe it's always been like that. But I think with Shea, certainly, um, he's just a very different... I don't know how many of the Scotland squad may have come from lower levels, um, but he's come from, from, from... and not. I mean, it's still semi-pro level, still a good standard of football that he came from initially. But Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, it, it's not sort of in any way to, because it's, 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 a, it's a, quite a few players have gone on and done very well. Um, but uh, it must count for something, I think, the fact that he, he's quite quickly, well, he did quite quickly develop. So some some
0: something that strikes me is I think a lot is made of these kind of professional academies and stuff now, but it's a totally different type of upbringing, as you say, playing against big burly defenders, taking no prisoners at that level of football when you're a kid. Like, I mean, we're talking 16, 17 not even a fully fledged adult yet, regardless of how his personal physical development was at that point. And for me, that must surely put something in there psychologically that's different for coming through sort of one of these super academies.
1: You know, I think you probably develop a, a fearlessness that you, you might not get yeah. from playing academy football. I think we can we noticed it a lot with some of the lads that came from academies who are used to just passing the ball around and, and tippy tapping all that stuff. Uh, who just weren't, couldn't, you know, some very good players. Some of whom did go on to play professionally, but who couldn't cope down at um, semi-pro level because they just get kicked in the air uh, and didn't like that and didn't have any time on the ball. Um, whereas Shea seemed to, he just sort of burrowed through everybody and 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 didn't had no fear whatsoever about him. And I think again that was a big factor. He was determined to 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 get the movie finally got, but even from that point on, he still had to work very very hard. And uh, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I, I covered a game for Dar- I covered a Derby County game at Birmingham uh, two or three years ago when he was he was there, and it was the first time I actually seen him play in the flesh since um, he left Dilkerson. And uh, you know, whilst his game was more or less the same, physically he just, as you'd expect from somebody who's growing into being a man, obviously he, he just he was just dismounted. And and I just think he started so young doing that, and and he's. The, the fearlessness he'd have had to have would have made him stronger physically because if you know you're going to be kicked up in the air by a burly centre half that weekend you've got to be mentally, physically prepared for that and he had that yeah. every week and I just think and he'd have had it coached into him as well to, as, as I said before so many kids at that age that's just not physically coached you can't expect them to be physically able we, obviously we get a few that come through don't we? we play at the top level straight away but yeah he was one of them and um, so yeah I think he he, he he wasn't scared of anybody then and I don't Imagine he is now, uh, to
0: be honest. That's, that's going to appeal to the Scottish fan base the more of that they see because we like
1: players like well, that. I hesitate to use out. the word brave but uh, <laughs> yeah, but you, you think he's got one. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you may, what. He, time
0: will tell. Uh, is, is there a cynicism, though, like among, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe you can, you can sort of answer this, Neil. Uh, within the Scottish fan base, it didn't seem to me that there was a lot of, well, he's just jumping on the bandwagon to get to a major tournament kind of thing. I mean, there might have been the odd sort of throwaway comment, but I think his performance, he's very quickly won over the hearts and minds. Would, would you agree?
3: Yeah, I think we just welcomed in somebody who had something a bit different. You know, I, the, the way I was spoken about his, fin- his finishing, like the way he shifts the ball on his right, he doesn't really tend to score average goals. I mean, Prepping for this, uh, I watched all his goals in the Championship for one of them, I mean superb and so many of them involved that moment where he shifts it onto his right and, and we've seen that already for Scotland. and, and uh, a lot of, reading about him, a lot of the talk was about whether him and Ings could play together and whether they were maybe like both occupying the same spaces which led to maybe Adam's goal return not being but then I think statistically when they looked at the the, the, the his link up play with Ings made made it so that the the, um, the chances created and the, and the the goals put away for Adams didn't really change much because obviously Ings had an injury season for, for Southampton. But I, I thought what was quite interesting was the at Birmingham and, and I don't know I can't I'm not going to search um, for the guy's name but uh, was there a big centre forward I read an interview it was with Gary Monk and, and Burnham put a, a big centre-forward up next to him, begins with a Jukovic, J. yeah.
1: Yeah,
3: Jukovic, yeah. Lucas
1: Jukovic, yeah.
3: yeah. uh uh-huh. and the quote was, when he had that physical presence, which maybe could become, not seeing the guy play, but could be comparable to Dykes, then that, that was his best, when he found his best form, playing off him, and um, maybe him and Ings were, were slightly too, occupying the same spaces, so I think that's maybe... An encouraging
0: thing for Scotland. I ah, no, no, definitely. Mm, I think so. That, well, interesting you're doing that. Well, what kind of partner do you think is best for Shea Adams?
2: I think it depends not to some offense, depends on the system, but he's shown he, he definitely needs someone with him. I think with Danny Ings, they they dovetail really well in terms of like it's those one touches and that's had to be progressed so it might be that actually on an international stage where he hasn't played with someone as much to have that develop that that partnership maybe the big guy would be better and more of a that instant connection will be there a lot quicker um but I don't think he's the type of player who would only be compatible with one type of striker given the way you know he's a good all round striker actually so I don't think that yeah. yeah, I think he'll find a way to work with anybody. But I think if you're looking for kind of some quick success, it might have to be a bigger man rather than two more similar players like with Adams and Ings who have had to work to create their partnership over a, a decent period of time, actually, to, to be as good as they, they have been. It, it, it took time. Um, so I think that's probably yeah. the way that you might have to go.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Just in terms of I've got a few comments coming in about various kind of ways that we'd construct the team. Um, Joe Finley says for the England game, he'd have John McGinn, who's obviously been full of goals for Scotland in recent times, as well as Aston Villa. Uh, he'd have him off Dykes, where midfield three of McGregor, Armstrong, and McTominay, then versus the Czechs, very much the, the the two sort of forwards in Adams and Dykes. That seems to be the general consensus among much of the Scotland fans. Just looking for a kind of neutral view um, from from yourself, Will and, and Mark. Do you do you guys? Well, what do you think? Because you've kind of you can look at it a wee a wee bit impartially. Because obviously we're an Englands group, right? But like taking off, off the the tinted spectacles for a wee while. Um, what what do you guys think from the outside looking in, as it were? I mean, are you, generally, actually, are you impressed with with Scotland's squad at the moment? Do you think this? I mean, I know we're at a major tournament, but if we're, if we're honest about it, we got through to the major tournament through the playoff that we earned through the Nations League, which we've got Alex McLeish to thank for, as well as a 3-0 defeat in Kazakhstan. Borat jokes in the post, please. But yeah, like generally, if you look at the, the Scotland squad at the moment, I mean, do you think this is a strong pool that we're operating with? And what's the kind of attitude down south sort of going into the tournament with regards to us? Either of you can um, go on that.
1: Sorry, I was jumping. I'm not going to proclaim to know a great deal of in depth about some of Scotland's players, but I think clearly Steve Clark seems to have found a bit more of a um, sort of rhythm, if you want to call it that. There, and, and uh, they've, they've qualified for the tournament, and that's a start in itself. Um, so they're there. The tournament itself will be. A complete unknown, really, because I don't think you can really predict truthfully how it will go. I think the first game, obviously against the Czechs, will be huge. So if they can, if they can win that, then you know, who knows? But yeah, the, the pool of talent does seem to be not too bad. They've obviously been quite shrewd in getting people like Shay Adams involved. You've got obviously McTominay, uh, McTominay, sorry, who's who's doing well at Man United. And has come on a long, a long way. I'm glad you put that up because it reminds me who's there. Um, uh, obviously, I mean, obviously you've got Andy Robertson. He's he's been flying Liverpool and. and it's just whether you can, whether these these really strong players who have been playing a lot in the Champions League and playing in the Premier League, winning the Premier League, or whatever, you know, making that fit perfectly well with with, with the lads who, who perhaps aren't playing at such a high level. Um, and it's always been the case, I guess, with Scotland in many ways. Um, but, yeah, looking at that, I mean, it's, it's they're, they're not the strongest team in the group, of course, but there's nothing to say they couldn't qualify from it. And then who knows after that?
0: Who's stronger, just now? what England or Croatia? First 11.
1: I think, Eng- yeah, I'd, I mean, obviously I know Croatia beat England in the in the semis three years ago. I think England will be stronger, but they're on, on their own patch. Um, I haven't admittedly studied too much of Croatia recently. I don't know what sort of state their squad's in, but um, I, I'd, I'd say England are stronger at the moment, and I think you have to look at England as being favourites to win the group, uh, and I don't say that with any bias. I just think that's probably how it is. No, 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 but, I get that, mate. Um, it's 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 they've been in that situation before and completely flunked it, so um, you know, um, it's it's uh, I have to say, I think you are stronger than Croatia, but you know, it's, it's anyone's group to be certainly the the two, two qualify, so um, it could be anyone's. Fair enough.
0: Well, what's your thoughts on um both the, the quality of Scotland's pool? It was just still on the screen there for you, and just generally um the, the way you see the pecking order in the group, mate.
2: Yeah, I mean as an Englishman looking at that squad, I think there's 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 plenty of players there who have performed at the top level for a decent amount of time, but equally you've got these young guys who are coming through there for a reason. I think that as a combination is really exciting. I mean, just in general. Feels to me like you guys up there are obviously hugely excited to be there, but actually, there's part of you that's thinking this is a decent group of players that, in the format of the Euros, the group, the pool. I don't know, you just dare to dream a bit. That's the impression I get from you guys up there, and with every right looking at that, that group of players. And specifically for me, you know, Stuart Armstrong's in there, who has been, you could probably say, Ings aside, Southampton's the best player for the last two
0: seasons. So, really, whoa, yeah. we need to get down that rabbit hole then, mate. What that's that's really strong words. Yeah, uh, you, you would say that. And that, that this, by the way, just for any Scotland fans listening, Will is my my oracle in all things saints. Like whenever I've done a couple of Southampton games, whenever I've been commentating on them or anything like that, always give Well, a wee text, a wee phone, like what's the temperature at the club right now, mate? That kind of thing. Uh so I like, why'd you say that, mate? Like, has he really been that good? I thought it was kind of in and out at one point.
2: When he doesn't play, we are far worse for it. He's really important in the way the system is because of his work, right? His work rate is through the roof. He's creative. Mm-hmm. He gets people like Adams into the game as well. Um, yeah, and just simply statistically, and just, you know, you get a feel when you watch your team. There's something missing when he's not there. We don't have a particularly strong depth of squad as, as you guys probably, well, you wouldn't have seen, but the squad is pretty weak. Um, yeah, and he, again, slowish start to get into things, but actually... He's become
0: one of our most important players. And wow. That's good to hear, mate. Like, I, I've got to admit, I'm like sitting here with a big smile. And, good what goals th- good goals too. Again, he scores two goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's another one that scores good goals. I can actually attest to that for his time in Scotland. One thing that disappoints me is that the Southampton fans haven't reappropriated the Stuart Armstrong song that referenced these hair that Celtic fans used to sing. I thought that was one of the better football chants in the Scottish terraces at that point.
2: We we stole the Wanyama song, which I know uh, you at the time.
0: (laughs) Not giving away my allegiances there, are you? Excellent. Neil, um, we've got a question that's come in that uh, I mean, I couldn't have a better guest to to ask this question, I don't think. Johnny G, who's been very active in the chat, says, do you think this team could perform better than the team from France 98? So, that's a tournament which I, I spoke a lot in the the opening episode about how that, that's the one that I remember. Greeting after the game against Brazil, all of that kind of stuff. Um, disbelief watching us against Morocco. Uh, I must admit, at that age, boredom in the, in the middle game against Norway because I was like... This isn't a good game. Frode Groda, I think it was in goal from uh, from Norway in that game. Uh, aye, but that I just it tells you everything that I remember the goalkeeper's name, because that's that's what that game was for me as a wee boy, memory-wise. Um, I think you've got without being cheeky, mate, a couple of years on me. So, on that basis, like if you do a kind of comparative between the squads uh from, from then and from now, and obviously the tournament format's a lot different, it's a Euros, it's not a World Cup. Um, obviously the majority of third placed teams are going to get through to the knockout stages in this tournament which we we had our own views in the the kind of format in the opening episode don't want to go over that but how do you think comparatively do you think we could perform better now by that I don't necessarily mean going through the group so perform better would be going through the group as one of the top two and just generally getting better results and playing better what do you think
3: Craig Brown only had twenty-two, so straight away he had the goalkeeping dilemma. That was, a, I think, the press tried to make more of the more of the Marshall Gordon. It's incomparable to the drama of Gorham and Leighton at the time. That that was that was front page, and and it rumbled for years. And
0: which he, he got wrong, by the way, in my opinion. Well,
3: I I I, I obviously um, I really enjoyed Mister Brown's boys the other night which if will or Mark didn't see that was a documentary on france 98 and um but i suppose that they didn't really go into the drama of gorham versus leighton um my book i suppose is a kind of what, what's and all where there was a huge huge uh, competition between leighton who was the uh, second highest appearance maker he he, date is Scotland's record appearance maker at the World Cup with nine appearances. He was in fourth consecutive squad. So he was the man with all the experience and he played fantastic in qualification. Gorham, I I think, was the better keeper. Maverick goalkeeper,
0: mate. Like one of the best in the world at
3: at the time, in my opinion. at, at At that moment, I think the general consensus in Scotland was, and I was... 18 France 98, so I watched it in the pub drinking tenant on brand. <laughs> <So, laughs> Robbie's yeah, uh, by the uh, way,
0: in my humble opinion, but there you are.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, so I do remember, but so that that, that was one aspect. The goal, goalkeeping is, was a lot. Is it, uh, we, we tried to, ta- I think the tabloids tried to make more of that than there actually really was. I think Marshall will play. Defensively, I think we were be- better than, in France 98. We had a more I mean, by the time we got to France, Henry was a glossist, calling Henry, at the back. All this Mate, was a what
0: a player. Time. Like, he was the, you're talking two. about Braveheart's earlier, Mark, right? He was the guy who had the nickname. What an absolute, just like the embodiment of a captain in a team. That's mm. what he was.
3: Absolutely. And the, the parallel with the 3-5-2, I found interesting, Stuart, because we we played a 3-5-2. That was uh, great. Good yeah, go to formation when when Clark introduced it. I found that quite an interesting parallel when I was writing the book. I started the book in September weekend, 2020. So Scotland hadn't qualified. But so then when Scotland qualified in the November, that took on a whole different meaning and drove me forward to try and get get out there. But good man. Yeah, I mean the three the three five two, Brown had adopted. Did he play it in every match at Euro 96? I don't think it de- he definitely played it against England. and it was the He team. switched it was in the one team. of the
0: games. I can't even
3: remember what game, game it was, was, but he changed four. it. Mm-hmm. first game, I think it was four at the back. But um, Colin Henry in the middle, Colin Calderwood at right centre-back and left centre-back Tom Boyd, they were really a settled three. And do we have that? Same strength. Oh no, we we
0: don't. We don't have that caliber of centre half right now. We 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 definitely don't. I mean, one of them's we've got a left back playing as one of our centre halves. But funnily enough, with the way, I mean, obviously the game, the actual way that football has changed, it's a totally different sport now. You couldn't have a Kieran Tierney left centre back in 1998. You know, Uh, you would probably want someone bigger and stronger, but not just that. It would be a total waste a player like that's talent. Whereas we've got our, our. really really interesting interest in tactical wrinkle now that we've got the basically two left backs in creating a complete an underlap and overlap we've got we've got all sorts of problems that we're going to cause for teams with that because it's it's an idiosyncratic element of our tactical approach which I'm hoping yields a couple of goals, <laughs> but aye, I don't, I don't think the quality is is, is is good. But I'll let you get through the other areas of the team as well, mate. because it's quite interesting.
3: No, I think t- your point there. Like, I mean, it's very unorthodox. The the left centre back bombing on in Tierney, and, and it's it's a great asset. There's not there's no doubt about it. Whether was as rock solid defensively. I think we were six games into France '98 qualification before we let in a goal. Incredible that start. Wow. Yeah. Um. Apologies if it's one a one game out either way, but it was we got. No, oh, oh, you're of all right, teams. mate. Your your memory's better than mine.
0: Anyway, I was just a I wee think boy.
3: Ken, I Kenneth Ken, Ken Anderson, who had scored uh, five goals at USA '94 to be second top scorers, the Swede scored against his. He was kind of the nemesis, but we qualified ahead of Sweden. He was Colin Henry's nemesis in that qualification campaign. He was superb, big physical forward. I can remember him
0: playing in uh, football Italia. I think he was a Bologna player in the late nineties. Yeah. Aye, yeah. Uh, uh, aye. But that, that, that's how I remember Kenneth Anderson, mate.
3: Mid- midfield, uh, we, uh, uh, right, right, and left. But Craig Brown didn't call them his wing backs? He called them his wide mid, wide midfielder. Um, it, the three-five-two had. Where did it emerge? It was credited to Balado and the eighty-six World Cup. Um, coping with how to fit uh, Maradona into a team, so that's where it that's where it's credited to the first time it was ever seen, and then it was. Well, one one thing start. I would say though is, like
0: Brown, you would definitely say like John Collins, for example, was a wide midfielder or a winger, right? Um, Andy Robertson's a left back or a left wing back. So the argument I would say three five two, I would probably argue we are more five three two now. Just because of the nature of the players that we've got out wide, don't get me wrong. Because of the athleticism, Andy Robertson in particular, that's it's just a description, and it's just the obviously the way the games kind of changed in the fact that fullbacks and the overlap is such a, a staple of the modern game now, uh, and arguably some of the most important players in your team. Uh, but Stephen O'Donnell on the right side again, like. I would say, very much a defender. You know, Nathan Patterson probably a bit more attacking in terms of in, in terms of the, the outlet that he offers. But, yeah, and, and what about the, the centre of midfield? How, how do you think that is comparatively strength-wise?
3: Hmm. I mean, we had Paul Lambert, who had 96, 97, 97, 98. It was just a boy's own story, wasn't it? He won the Champions League with Dortmund. He, he backed himself, was one of the pioneers of the bossman ruling. and And... What a story that was! He became the first first non UK player, or first UK player to win the Champions League with a non UK club. So that 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 I mean, incredible. And from I mean, from a kind of forgotten attacking midfielder with Motherwell, and he'd been captain of Scotland's under-21s, but mm-hmm. had become forgotten. By the time France '98 came around, what a player Lambert was! He was just—he was at the very top of his game, and he—and he was for me the kind of missing link between. He was very modern at the time because he was—he was converted, wasn't he, at Dortmund into a central defensive midfield player, and he would pick the ball up from. And he, he for me, he was the best player on the pitch against Brazil. Yeah, he tried good runs.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and
3: it's the way he would, he would pick it up from, and and he would pick it up from Henry or Caldwell, and. Him and Collins very quickly jailed because they were so so good. To the two of them were so clever and and, and such good midfielders that within a few games, because Lambert didn't have that many caps by the time he came in for France '98, but looked as if he'd been there for six or seven years. And that that, that I mean his link-up play with Collins, who who would have been the third midfield. The got injured, he would have been playing. So the stars aligned. Just generally,
0: though. Generally, though, what, what do you think the strength between the the two midfields? Would you give the edge to the current generation, or like in terms of strength and depth as well?
3: Well, I, I think McTominay is fantastic, isn't he? Um, that, that I think that that position is crucial. The one that I'm discussing there that Lambert took up. I think I think we're going to play McGregor in there. I I, th- I think as you discussed yesterday. Gilmer would improve the team in there, but it's maybe just too soon. But, yes. um,
0: it's a bit early. I, actually, just let me throw it to the kind of, the down south view for a wee minute. Um, Billy Gilmer and Scott McTominay, what are the views of those respective players south of the border? Um, go to you first, Will.
2: Well, I can only talk about what I've seen, but I McTominay to me is someone that is a very, very good player as well. I think he's actually quite underrated. I think he gets he's not that particularly glamorous you know in the United squad and Man United player. I feel like he yeah I don't feel like he gets the credit he deserves I think he's a very very good player much better than people give him credit for I think he's would perfect perfect for someone like Billy Gilmore as well in that midfield um, I think Gilmore from my point of view it's disappointing he's not had a few more chances with Chelsea um, obviously when he has played he's made an impression um, there's a lot of hype around that and then he's kind of I wouldn't say fallen away that suggests it's his fault but the opportunities haven't quite been there with the change of management and stuff like that. But you know, you don't come into a team like Chelsea, play and make that impression if you haven't got something about you. So I think there's probably excitement that just needs to get games at this point in his career, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, fair play. Um, yeah, and to add to that, Mark.
1: No, like well, of have sort of limited um action of Billy Gilmore, but he. he I think Frank Lampard quite liked him at Chelsea and, and uh, you know, such as he likes bringing the young players through and obviously giving him a chance. And I think it was, was it a cup tie against Liverpool. Um, he shone in that one. That sort of showed what he was about. Um, and I think he's probably one, certainly for the fe- more the future, whereas McTominay's is very much in the present. He's come through very well at United. Again, sort of without a lot of sort of fanfare, you know, he does his, does his job in there, pops up with the goals as well. Yeah, uh, to now that's come more into his game than it used to. Um and uh so yeah, a couple of good players to work with, certainly. And um is the thought that Gilmore will will play regularly in, in the tournament, do you think, or is No, he's, not he's in this to... tournament.
0: I think it's too early for him.
1: Uh I think if we need if we need
0: to twist our hand going into the final game, I think there's a chance he maybe starts that, but I don't see him starting against the Czechs because it's a tried and tested system. In England, are, are too, it's too big a game to throw in a kid like that. I think I think he would probably throw in one of the other more experienced midfielders even into that McGregor role before he would do that. But come the next tournament, uh, Qatar, if we get there or, or whatever, the next qualification campaign even or later in this one, I think Billy Gilmore will be a Scotland starter before long. And I'm just hoping that he gets... The right, I mean, I don't think Thomas Tuchel sees him as a first, like well, a regular first teamer at Chelsea. So, on that basis, I think a lone move to another Premier League club would probably be a really good thing for him at this point because it would, it would get him regular football. And I think he's he's reached that stage where, yeah, working in an academy like Chelsea's is all well and good up to a point. And then there comes, like, he's just turned 20 today. Happy birthday, by the way, Billy. The whole of Ayrshire is proud of you, mate. Um, tomorrow's episode is going to be all about you. Uh, if you happen to be watching, I'm sure you've got better things to be doing. But um, yeah, like I mean, the reason I'm focusing an episode on him is because he's, he's such a special talent. Um, I watched him at the two lawn tournament quite a lot because I was covering it for a, a newspaper when the nationals up here a couple of years ago, and he was outstanding. He's like Chavi. He just makes the half angle for the passes, and he's got that positional awareness. He's also got the touch. You know how there's players that they'll control the ball and then take the touch into space? He's one of those ones that the first touches into the space. You know, he's just, he's a really, really intelligent player. And it's very, very exciting. He had one really good run against Luxembourg. And if he was to add, I'll tell you what, if he was to add a bit, if he was to be a bit more lethal in the opposition box, you'd have pretty much a fairly complete midfield player, you know. So on that basis, I, he's, he's a really exciting talent for us to be working with. Um, I'm going to throw another question out uh, that we've had to come in, which is going kind to of off-topic a wee bit, but it's going to be the last one, and then we're going to do some predictions and wrap up. Uh, do you think, John Bleasdale was asking, do you think Kieran Tierney can attract a big money move away from Arsenal with his performances in the tournament? Um, we'll come to you, Mark, on, on that first what's been the the general perception? You're sort of a full-time football journalist south of the border. Um, What's been the general kind of consensus of Tierney Arsenal? Because it seems like, I mean, judging by social media, which is never always a wise thing to do, but it it seems like the the general consensus is he's absolutely flying for Arsenal and was the one, probably one of very few bright lights and an absolutely abysmal campaign for them last season.
1: Yeah, he struggled a bit, didn't he, when he first... Came down um, from Celtic, but yeah, again, from what I've seen of him, uh, and I'm saying this as a, as a Spurs fan, I'm delighted that the question hints that there's bigger fish for um, Tierney to to to, to, to fry than, than Arsenal, because clearly now that they're just a mid-table outfit, um, you know, he could he earn a big move. Um, yeah, look, he's, he's obviously the the the, the, the foot bombing up and down wing back, as you said earlier, is such an important part of the game now. Um, and he will be a real asset. But it's it, interesting to see how he does work with Robertson being in the squad as well. I know he's been playing a bit since half. Um it's I not like I mean, that though. If you
0: if you watch like I, I don't know yeah, if you're sorry,
1: the build up. no
0: it's basically like two left backs, but like it's it's essentially so what the you way you would have a yeah yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, it's essentially restrict, you know yeah. the
0: way you would have a left back and a left winger if yeah. you'd a really attacking full back and a, a player out wide playing, maybe enough two flat fours, it's kinda like that and that that's the way that the, the dovetailing works. It's really exciting, man. And it's
1: where we... Yeah, you've when you've got two players like Robertson and, and Tierney, who are seasoned now playing in the Premier League for good sides, um, you've got to use them to their strengths, uh, as long as you can fit that in with the rest of the side. So, uh, but yeah, I, like, I do, through gritted teeth, I like I like Tierney. Um, and, again, another player who could have a big say on what, um, what happens. Granted.
0: Um, just in your, in your opinion, well, obviously you have your your finger on the pulse down there. What well, what do you think in terms of potentially winning a move away from Arsenal if he can have another good season?
2: Yeah, well, I think the Arsenal dressing room is not one that gets a lot of praise for having a lot of bottle and leadership, but he's clearly gone in there and been that guy from from Arsenal fans and people I spoke to. He and I think he's shown that on the pitch as well that he's got a bit about him. He's he's got like character and charisma and wants to bring people along with him. I think that'll be attractive to bigger clubs. And just simply as you say, it's becoming one of, if not one of the most important positions in modern teams in football. So from that point of view, the age of years, the international experience, going in and dominating at, you know, at a club like Arsenal, I think there's every chance, isn't there, really? I think there's a little bit more work to do, a bit more consistency, You know, do it for another season. But yeah, why not?
0: Fair play, right? We get to the bit of the the, the podcast that's kind of become my favourite. Anyway, for anyone that's been watching and tuning in, thank you very much for getting your questions in. If you've got any others that you want to rush in before the end, then please do get them to us. But um, we're going to wrap up with some predictions. So um, we'll just go around in what? Clockwise fashion? No, oh, that's anti-clockwise. See, whenever you do these things the camera, it works in reverse. So we'll go in clockwise fashion. We'll start off with you, Will. Um, I'm getting people to predict Various things in the tournament um, So we've got five categories here And uh, we'll, we'll just go on each category round clockwise So um, first thing is How do you think the results will go for Scotland in the competition? Um, I know you guys will probably be more interested in the kind of, in the England side of things But I'm interested to know So we're playing the Czech Republic first, then England, then Croatia Tell me the results in each of those games well So you want an actual score? Actual score Okay. Sorry, but I
2: think so. Croatia first, did you say?
0: No, Czech Republic first. No, Czech Republic. That's on Monday. One all draw. Okay. Yep.
2: Two then, one against two one against England. What defeat for us? Well, unfortunately, yes.
0: That's what I said. Okay.
2: And Croatia. Let's go for another draw. All right,
0: okay, so we're going to well, whimper with two points,
1: right? You're never getting back on me, um, Mark. <laughs> I'll, I think the Czechs they'll be up for that because I know that's a, you know, crucial starter for them. And uh, yeah, let's 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 say Scots will win that two-one. Uh, you know, let's 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 be positive. England, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, England, I struggled to see that the. They'll, they'll be good enough to overcome to England, he says, with enormous optimism. Um, uh, knowing I could look pretty stupid this time next week. Um, yeah, I hope so. in, in, Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. England, England, England three, 3 1. Well, let you have a goal. In, 3 1, England, and then Croatia. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, 1 1.
3: There you go.
1: Because by then, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You look you like you're on a nine. Like
0: results but, I said. So I said we will beat the Czechs, draw with England. Eh, sorry, beat the Czechs, lose to England, draw with Croatia. So, I think you know
1: how the group maps out will play a part because obviously if you come to the Croatia game, it could be a winner takes all, you know, that could play a part. So yeah, it depends. But um I I would hope, um apologies for the dog, I would hope that that's um, right. they will I knew that might happen. Um I would hope that they'll give a good account for South Scotland and, and, and we'll make a good group of it for, for, for all of us. Like,
0: so. the, the, the dog's just telling you in dog speak, like, uh, stop talking yeah. rubbish. Scotland are going to win all three <laughs> games. So that's it. Exactly. Um, just before we come to you, Neil, um, Oli Middleton's got in touch and said, uh, we need some Alan Hutton love from a Spurs fan, the Scottish Cafu. Right, so I have a theory in this. He was the best right back in the world for three days. We played two games against Italy in the space of three days and he was the best right back in the world for those three days. He was unbelievable. And it was just as he was beginning to hit his stride at Spurs. I think he was a brilliant player. And I know he had good periods and fallow periods at Spurs.
1: But overall, how do you look
0: back in his time uh, with your teammate? mate?
1: Um, I don't have massively fond memories of Alan Hutton at Tottenham. I don't think he was... Oh. He, did, he didn't stand out in the same way that he has done other clubs i know he's a legend at villa um and 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 scots love him um i don't know he he was inconsistent um and uh, needed a move when it came um and he he went to Villa. i think the genius at the same time um and kind of took off there for him but yeah not not he's not he's not remembered as fondly but he did the job um but i'm I'm glad that he's I'm i'm glad that he's i'm glad that he's um are highly revered um, elsewhere. No, because well, he's hardworking, that, uh, he's hard worker, and he knew what his game was. But I'd think he yeah, you know, he just wasn't consistent enough when he was at Tottenham.
0: I, I suppose, I suppose, Spurs were beginning to sort of push on as a club at that point. So I, I suppose, like consistency is a massive thing um, at, the, at the bigger clubs. Neil, back going back to the predictions, mate. Um, just wait, with that slight interjection for a minute there. Um, how do you see the results going in each of the games, mate?
3: I'll have to go for a I'll be positive we'll go for a win against the Czechs I think we need to win and I'll be positive and go for a there was goals in against the Netherlands so 2-1 against the Czechs 2-1 yeah that's what I said as well cool England oh there's definitely goals in England and, and um oh I don't want to be too negative, but I think that's a defeat. It'll go same as Euro 96, 2-0 to England. That's
0: going to be sore. Right. Uh,
3: Then Croatia. Well, nothing each draw against Croatia. Four points through. Four points through.
0: Right. I'll take that, mate, if that's the case. Um, So going to you again, uh, Will, um, I've asked... Everyone so far to see what Scotland's starting 11 will be in the opening game. Um, I'll bring up this to give you a wee bit of help, mate. Um, if if uh, you think you can, I, I mean, to be honest, I'm quite happy to give a pass to the two English lads on this one. If you I
2: would wouldn't want to, yeah, I i don't want to, I can do this enough justice. I don't have the Fair so. enough. Fair enough.
0: enough, right, so we'll stick with you in this, Neil um, So that's it, right, I'm only going to So we're making the rules for this podcast as we go along Only Scottish guests are going to be getting asked For their first 11, for whatever the next game is Neil, what, what are we playing in the opening game,
3: mate? Um, so we will be Marshall and goals Stephen O'Donnell at right wing back Andy Robertson at left wing back Jack Henry at right centre back Grant Hanley as the centre centre back Kieran Tierney yep. is the left centre back. I'll go for Callum McGregor, that's central defensive midfield. John McGinn and Scott McTominay, either side of them. She mm-hmm. Adams and London Dykes up front.
0: That's spot on. Bang on, uh, team wise. Um, points tally that Scotland are going to get. We've already decided from the 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 scores and the results that we've had. And then I want people to tell us they're, they're top scorers for Scotland. So. Who's going to get the goals? So if you think back to the results that you offered, is I mean, do you think it's going to be different scorers? If so, who? And then, um, is anybody going to be? sort of get a couple of goals, maybe three even. A push if Steve Clark's team suddenly develop a very cavalier approach. So well, who do you who do you fancy to in amongst the goals for Scotland?
2: I mean, there's only one person I can say, surely.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no, not us think- too.
2: Okay, yeah, fair enough. I wouldn't be surprised if he got on the score sheet at all, but yeah, it's got to be Che, but definitely watch out for uh, the stretch Armstrong.
0: <laughs> like that part of me. Mark, who do you yeah, fancy being?
1: Like Will, I think if is used properly um, and effectively uh, and he's on his game, he will score and create. It's just a question of, against obviously the better sides, how much balls are you going to get? How many chances is he going to get? Will he take them when they come? Um Yeah, actually, I mean, he scored
0: against Luxembourg, but there was also a couple he was a wee bit profligate with. Well, I'm interested, well, and and I don't know if this is something he's developed in in the kind of more modern years of his game, right? But there was a few crosses came in that he could have headed, and instead he tried to turn into Liu Kang out of Mortal Kombat and, like, do weird scissor (laughs) kick volley stuff. Yeah. Is that that normal? Yeah, that that
2: that is is definitely a trait of his. um, Why? you have to ask him. No, I'm not sure, but there, it'll be those looping balls where he'll he'll you could just get up and nod, but he'll kind of wait and volley. And sometimes he scored, but sometimes you missed it altogether. together. But that is actually quite interesting that you picked up on that because that is a trait of his to mm. you know, to look for to shoot rather than head the
0: ball. And and was he doing that at Elkiston Town, Mark? Like, or is this is this something he's just doing more modern so
1: that time in his game? I, I don't recall him doing too much. I think the manager at the time, Kevin Wilson, probably would have... Um, yeah, had a... The if he ...tried to do too much of that yeah, at 16 yeah, or 17 yeah. years old. But um, he's he's obviously got that about him and, and it's it's good that he's got the confidence now to, and, and the ability to do it. Um, so, mm. yeah, but no, I, I don't recall him being particularly flamboyant um, at, <laughs> at Ilkeston. But uh, I don't know, I could be wrong. There may be one or two signs, but no, he's... he's no, no, that's fair
0: I think um, hopefully what I'm hoping, Will, is one of those, like, scorer of good goals that you talk about. I'm hoping that it's going to lead to one of those in the in the major tournament. And I did say against Luxembourg, him and especially Dykes actually got all of their misses very helpfully out the way um, ahead of the Czech game. At least that's what I'm hoping anyway. Uh, Neil, who do you fancy being in amongst the goals for us?
3: I think the 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 scene is set for John McGinn, Stuart. I think.
0: Yeah, I feel that, mate.
3: Yeah, to be the to be the man the the first scorer at a major tournament since Craig Burley in nineteen ninety-eight. I mean, against that Norway game that we discussed, so that's the last time that goal was scored. Yeah. So
0: that makes me feel that just (laughs) brings home like that's a thing to say that just brings home how long it's been. Craig Burley, who's annoying you on American soccer coverage, you know? He's, he's a lob over uh,
3: Grodas the goalie that you mentioned, a lob over him yes. I think we played together at one point as well in England, I think Grodas was with, well, think were at Chelsea. And to, Yeah, and no, I think he was also at Tottenham was it, was yeah. it, Mark Matt? Grodas uh, He was but he didn't play a game
1: uh,
0: Grodas he, was no, uh, he, he played for Chelsea when Ed De Hoy got injured I think, see I remember everything about 90s football, ask me about last season I'll struggle uh <laughs> just more invested in it when I was a wee guy but aye, yeah I think they were at Chelsea together mate. but aye, who so you think John McGinn is the one who could get a couple of goals uh I think there was similar prediction in pod number 1 so that's that's good um anybody else that you fancy to to maybe bag one or a couple my, predi-
3: my, pr- my prediction there was off the cuff but I think I, I went for two goals didn't I against the Czech so I'm I'm going to say Shea Adams that, that shift onto the right and um I, th- I think it takes a half chance, she them, and Hanley's a danger from set pieces. So if we could take we a have. bit more care, we need to take care over those set pieces. They need to see Clark needs to roll out John Collins, Paul Armot, how much care they took over those set pieces. Everyone was like a treasured and, 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 and everyone was off the training ground and different and and I see a lot of set pieces wasted. Um and at all levels of football that I watch and I, th- I think we need to be using the set pieces and Big Hanley is definitely a danger Turnbull could,
0: could be if we need so late on in a game, he could be an option and with the expanded substitutes as well, I think we're going to see some some interest in uh, variations and stuff in the squads. so I'm, I'm interested to see how that impacts things and I um, just on the, the taker of half chances comment, uh, well, at this stage in his career, Shea Adams, better way, a one-on-one where he's got time to think about it or better instinctive? 100%, 100% instinctive.
2: Um, and that's been through the past two years. Yeah, Any lots of time, that tends to be against him. But if there's something where there's such a clear option to take, whether it's you know a tighter angle, you've just got to shoot... Um, yeah, when the options are simple, that's when he's at his best. I think when he's one on, you know, one on one for a keeper, you shoot, you take it round, and that tends to not he's not at his best there. When he doesn't have to think about it, he can just react. That tends to be when he's been at his best.
0: Fair play. Um, got a prediction come in here. I can see it just now. McGinn screamer in the ninety fourth minute at Wembley. Another overhead kick. I hope to goodness that that turns out to be true. But anyway, it might that's... be, but it
1: would just be a consolation goal.
0: 3 one. <laughs> You're getting brave, Martin. You're getting <laughs> brave, mate. Um, no, excellent. So, gents, we'll go clockwise uh, order again just for this last bit. Um, obviously, you guys, thank you very much for spending your time today to come on. Uh, it was really interesting to get a bit of a, a more holistic appreciation of, of Shea Adams and, and that kind of thing. Obviously, as usual, the topic kind of going in, in we different directions, but um, really interesting to hear both the the sort of the original, the genesis of them from, from you, Mark, and then the, the kind of revelations, biblical uh, metaphor here, <laughs> the revelations and, and what he's like now, well, um, so aye, I, I think it's good to, to hear that, but really grateful for your time, everyone, if people want to find out where you guys are, um, I'm going to put my scrolling ticker along the bottom so that people know where to find me. But, well, if people want to find your work and um, your thoughts and musings on social media, then where can they do that,
2: mate? Um, at Will underscore Turner 71, I believe.
0: Why 71? Um, You're really the 71st sorry. Will underscore no, no, no. Um,
2: First number I had playing hockey back in the day, and I've just kept it ever since.
0: Oh, he was a good hockey player, by the way. Played up front. Um, tenacious, greedy, and a bit moody. Uh, wow, on. You do oh, remember one. Ah, of course I do, mate. One of my best mates. Mark Duffy, uh, what about yourself, mate? If people want to find you on social media and, and tell us a bit about the kind of general work that you do as well.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Duffers Sport. Um, I, I, I write for across several newspapers, across Derbyshire, Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire Times, Mansfield, Chad. Uh, some of the more regional uh, local papers as well, including Ilkeston, um, which are now part of the Derbyshire Times, but who I've covered Ilkeston Town for for a long time, um, and uh, yeah, just across across the board there really, uh, been involved around here for a while. So, any any particular um, sport, particularly football in this part of the world, um, and particularly non-league, um, I tend to be the go to the go-to person sometimes. So, uh, yeah, that's generally where I'm my, my mate who's
0: um who's a non-league expert uh, basically put me in your direction immediately he's like Shea adams talk about his time at elkiston duffers is the guy you always speak to so yeah at duffers yeah. sport is that right yeah. if, if people That's want right. to find you excellent and neil finally yourself mate uh good airshad boy like myself where can people find you on socials mate
3: oh yeah, and uh, yeah oh, let us know I about the book as well make a mess of that um uh, my book's for sale on amazon um it was released about four weeks ago. Published about four weeks ago. So
0: congratulations,
3: mate! Thank you. And um, I came onto Twitter with no followers. So I'm Neil Doherty, eighteen seventy-three, trying to promote the book and a wee change of emphasis, doing things like this. So to thank, thanks for inviting me on, Stuart. Um, no I also have a website. I'm a commander FC supporter. Commander again, nobody relegated. Perfect. Oh, we're relegated this year after twenty-eight years in the top flight. So. A wee bit of, I created a website to promote my book, and a wee bit of command like FC blogging has drawn drawn me in because of the ca- catastrophe of my home club. I'm a season ticket holder with Comallan. We got relegated, so I'll be on my website, maybe analysing. What stand Kelly. You in? East Stand. All right,
0: okay. Um, you know the, the um, one the one silver lining me is you're going to have league derbies next year. Yeah that's going to be exciting I'm going to go to one of them in fact would you want to go to an Ayrshire Derby together we'll make that, make that. Yeah, promise yeah.
3: no. right, yeah. let's do that mate
0: <clears throat> <coughs> cracking right, but so people can find the book on Amazon
3: right Amazon it's on sale on Amazon paperback and ebook excellent
0: and uh, the what, what should they put in the search bar
3: well, search France France ninety eight uh, Scotland the, the, the actual book title was World Cup nineteen ninety eight Scotland Story. I wanted the I wanted the title to be clear and to explain exactly what the book is. The yeah. subtitle is the France ninety eight journey. And yeah, just search, search that on Amazon. Paperbacks ten ninety nine. Amazon have reduced it to ten fifty eight at the moment and the e book is three ninety nine.
0: Brilliant stuff. So you've got all your instructions there, troops and troupettes. Go and have a look at that. And that'd be quite nice, actually. Tinge the here and now with a bit of nostalgia. I think everybody's got room for a wee bit of that sort of thing going on in their lives. But that is all for today's Tartan Daily. You can subscribe to the podcast on all of your favourite podcast platforms, as well as to me on YouTube. And of course, you can find me, Hodge the Hack, that's H O D G E Y, the Hack, on all the social media channels. If you can give me or the podcast a wee follow or a wee like, whether you are listening subsequently or watching concurrently as we stream, that would be much appreciated. And if you're among the people watching on Facebook or YouTube, then remember you can hit the bell on YouTube for a wee reminder of whenever I'm going live with a new stream, uh, which I'll be doing, by the way, throughout the tournament. I'm going to be doing one of these every single day till Scotland get knocked out and probably the day after because I'm going to need, need, need something in my life to comfort me at that point. Um, I do have another good idea for tomorrow's episode, I've already given it away, we're going to be talking about Billy Gilmer tomorrow and then on Sunday we will be looking at the opposition. Uh, I've got a Czech journalist coming on who's going to give us the lowdown and everything about the Czech Republic so that will be good um, make sure and share this episode if you did enjoy it, please. I'm trying to build up a wee following for these. So if you could please get in touch with people, you know, that are buzzing for the tournament and might be into it, then please do share the episode and likewise, get in touch with me and um, send a DM on Twitter. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. And then uh, hopefully, hopefully I can make this something that people enjoy moving forward. But yes, if you are sharing it, please use hashtag the Tartan Daily, all one word, um, and I capitalised the Tartan and Daily um, to do so. That'll make sure people can find them easily. But that's everything. So thanks to everyone who's watched today. Thanks to anyone who listens subsequently. Stay safe and until... Oh, well, actually, I say stay safe. Just enjoy the first game tonight. the night. Uh, I'm buzzing to actually see some tournament football. Basically, the next month is going to be sorted, doesn't it, Jets? like... We now have our, our next month of entertainment sorted. Obviously a bit of pain along the way, but that's fine. Severe pain if England get to the semi finals or further. Um that's that's what we're hoping doesn't happen, at least me and Neil anyway. But yes, thank you very much for everyone that has um taken thanks to you guys for taking part. Thanks to everyone who's watched. And remember, no Scotland,
2: no party.